To God be the glory, heaven's child, thank you. This month of December, we are looking at four experiences that Jesus' mother Mary had as recorded for us in the first chapter of Luke. The first Sunday of December, the fourth, we considered Mary asking the angel, Gabriel, how can this be? And the Bible told us that how it could be that she would have a baby without having relations was that there's a big, a miracle-working God. And we made the point that there are things in our lives currently that require a big and a miracle-working God. Amen? And I've had some of you come to me since that sermon was preached and share with me how God has shown up for you that he is big and that he is a miracle-working God, and he is. And we continue to trust him for the trust in his bigness and his ability to do the miraculous so that we can be at peace, we can be at rest, we can be settled. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be worried. The second sermon in our series on the 11th of December pointed out that the angel Gabriel told Mary that with God, nothing will be impossible. And we, of course, agree with that biblical statement as being truth, but we qualified it in this way, that with God, nothing which is in line with God's character, in line with God's will, in line with God's plans, in line with God's works will be impossible. So we pointed out that it's impossible for God to sin. It's impossible for God to fail, etc., The response that we saw Mary take that we should emulate with the fact that with God nothing is impossible is that she surrendered. She surrendered her agenda. She surrendered her priorities. She surrendered her reputation. And she possibly surrendered her engagement to Joseph by accepting the mission that the angel Gabriel came to her to tell her that God had for her to be the virgin mother of the Son of God. And we mentioned how important it was for us to be able to stand to our feet at the end of last week's sermon with sincerity and say that I am surrendered to God. Whatever the Lord has for me to do, I will do. Wherever, whenever, whatever. And I believe that everyone stood last Lord's Day to indicate when given the opportunity to publicly indicate that we are surrendered to him individually. And when we're surrendered to him individually, then we are surrendered to him corporately as a church. Lord and no are two words that never go together. If he is Lord and he is, then we don't say no to him on any matter. If we say no to him on any matter then we are not living as though he is our Lord. And so it was so encouraging to me as your pastor last Lord's Day to see in the balcony and in the lower level, every person stood when asked, would you stand if you're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That was a wonderful sight for me to see, to be sure. And so keep surrendered. Standing last Lord's Day wasn't the in total package of surrender, was it? It was just saying publicly something that 
already had happened privately, but keep ratifying your surrender to the lordship of Christ in every matter. Money, children, marriage, dating, retirement, discretionary time. He is Lord. Surrender. Today we come to Luke 1, 39-45, and the sermon title is, Blessed is she who believed. I'm going to read Luke 1, 39-45. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there to Luke chapter 1, verses 39-45. to Hear the word of God. Luke 1, 39-45. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The miracle baby of the first Christmas was so special, so utterly unique and special, that he greatly impacted people before he was even born Even before the baby Jesus was born, he greatly impacted his mother Mary. He greatly impacted his foster father Joseph. He greatly impacted his mother's cousin Elizabeth. And he greatly impacted his second cousin, who was also unborn at the time of this account that we're studying, who was John the Baptist. So let's take these one by one. First, the unborn baby Jesus greatly impacted his own mother, Mary. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, we said last time, that is equivalent of the bond servant that we see in other places in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a maidservant or a bond servant. In in Israelite law, you'd be freed from being a slave after six years of slavery. On the seventh year, you could be freed. But if you felt your master couldn't, you couldn't have a better life than the one your master provided for you, then you could decide to be a bond slave to your master, and you would have your earlobe pierced, and it would be a sign that you are a bond slave, not a slave, but a bond slave, a voluntary, lifelong slave of the master you love. And the Virgin Mary said to the angel Gabriel, I am God's maidservant or bond slave. And those of us who obey Romans 12, 1 and 2 are saying the same thing. Our ears may not be pierced in the earlobe, but we are saying we will for our lifetimes on earth do the bidding and the will of God expressed for us in his word gladly because we could not be We could not have a more loving and wise and kind and gracious master. And frankly, we don't do a very good job of being the boss of our own lives. Hope that's you. And so when Mary accepted this assignment, this gargantuan assignment, to be the virgin mother of the Son of God, she knowingly welcomed some things. 
she consciously welcomed some things, and not many of them were pleasant. Number one, she welcomed the negative stigma that would be coming to her of being an unwed mother, because to the world's estimation, she was simply another unwed mother. She welcomed that. She let her reputation take a hit. Secondly, she welcomed the embarrassment that was attached to that. She would find embarrassment in that situation. She knew she was doing God's will, but there were reasons and times that she would be embarrassed. People would embarrass her. She welcomed being the brunt of gossip. People talk. And bad news travels far faster than good news, right? And so she would have been the talk of the town. This young, teenaged, unmarried woman with a baby. She says it's from God. Gossip. She welcomed it. She risked losing her fiancé. I've described to you that betrothal in the Jewish culture was that you asked, a man asked a woman to marry him, and if she agreed, then they were betrothed. They didn't consummate their marriage for a year. He went and made a marital home for them in that year. She went to be taught by her mother how to be a wife and how to be a mother for a year, and then they had a torch-lit procession from where he built the house to where she was living with her parents, and they had a wonderful wedding ceremony. They consummated their marriage, and they had a married life together. But in that betrothal period, when she was found to be pregnant, there was a real risk that Joseph would, we would say, break off the engagement, but in Jewish thinking, write a divorce bill because it would seem that she had been morally unfaithful and impure in the betrothal period. Of course, she wasn't. But when she signed on to say, I am your maid servant, I am your bond servant, Lord, I will do as you've said, it will be done to me, let it be done to me. She was saying, I might lose Joseph. But I'm your maid servant, so I'll do what you want with the risk. And then, can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine the challenge of parenting God? Calling God to dinner? Giving God chores to do in the workshop? Wiping God's chin if there was food on it as a child? Can you imagine mothering God? Talk about a learning curve. Talk about not knowing how it would all unfold. Wow. And so in the light of all these things, Mary's words of surrender spoken to Gabriel are so God-honoring, and they ring through the corridors of time from when she first said them to now we're seeing them inscripturated and considering them this morning. What a God-honoring response this teenage girl said. She said, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. According to your word. Your word is more important than my preferences. Your word is more important than my plans. Your word is more important than my convenience. Your word is more important than my reputation. Your word, be it, let it be done unto me as according to your word. You know, when we say that to the Lord, Scripture tells us that that is a, a welcoming of some things coming into our lives 
that the world that doesn't understand the joy of serving Jesus would think are bad things. When we say, be it done to us, Lord, according to your word, the word talks about suffering for being a Christian. The word talks about being allowed to be in trials. It talks about rejection. Jesus said, if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. It talks about loss in the New Testament. When you read what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it involves personal loss. Spiritual family put ahead of physical family, for instance. Possessions, etc. Yes, when we, these centuries later after Mary, would say and dare to say to God, let it be to me according to your word, we are saying that the last will be first and we're prepared to be last. We're saying that given how much of a sacrifice Jesus Christ made for us, no sacrifice he would call us to make to be in his will is too great a sacrifice for us. And so when we stood last week, me among you, standing, and we said, let it be to me according to your word, we signed up for trial and suffering and rejection and loss and personal sacrifice and being last instead of first, the tail instead of the head. The tail and the head promise was for Israel, by the way, not for the church. So truly, the unborn baby Jesus mightily impacted his mother Mary at the point of her surrender to the doing of God's will. He mightily impacted her. Second, the unborn baby Jesus greatly impacted his foster father, Joseph. Joseph, of course, was not Jesus' biological father. He was a foster father. And he was greatly impacted by the unborn baby Jesus because like Mary had some things she had to commit to, Joseph also had some things that he had to commit to when he chose not to write a bill of divorcement to divorce Mary when she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. He welcomed some things himself by stepping into that preordained plan of God. He welcomed a negative stigma. They call Jesus a bad word that starts with B. And Joseph heard that when people slurred his foster son, Jesus, calling him that bad name that starts with B. He welcomed that. He welcomed his own measure of embarrassment. People probably accused his fiance of immorality and tried to embarrass Joseph about it. He also welcomed being subject to gossip and to the risk of losing Mary. She had a risk of losing him, and he had a risk of losing her in their betrothal period. And he had the huge challenge of fathering, parenting at a human level, God. Teaching God how to sand a board. Teaching God how to make a table in the workshop. Teaching God how to treat children around him. And Jesus grew in favor with God and men, it says at the end of Luke 2. But it wasn't just Mary and Joseph who were greatly impacted by the baby Jesus before he was even born. His mother's cousin, his mother's cousin, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, was also greatly impacted before Jesus was even born. Verses 39 to uh, 41 
Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judea and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop there. The third person who was greatly impacted by the unborn Jesus Christ was Jesus' mother, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who herself was having a baby. And we notice from what we've read that when Elizabeth came close to the unborn baby Jesus, who was still inside Mary's womb, she, one, was filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, implication being she hadn't been before that. Remember, prior to the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit didn't permanently indwell believers as he does now, but he visited believers and he chose to visit Elizabeth when she heard Mary bring a verbal greeting. So she was, Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit of God. She was controlled by the Spirit of God. And secondly, she offered up a beautiful and sincere verbal praise, not to Mary, her cousin, but to God. Verses 42 and 40 to 43. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then skipping down to verse 45. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so, so far we've seen in this study of these verses that the unborn baby Jesus greatly impacted Mary, Joseph, and Elizabeth. There's one more person who was greatly impacted by the unborn baby Jesus, and it was another unborn baby at the time, John, in Elizabeth, his mother's womb. The unborn baby Jesus even greatly impacted his second cousin, John, who himself was unborn at the time of their meeting, 39 to 44. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city in Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it was happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Yes, even the unborn baby John was greatly impacted by the unborn baby Jesus. Amazing. The unborn baby John resonated with the voice of the mother of the unborn baby Jesus, and the unborn baby John jumped for joy inside his mother Elizabeth's womb. Amazing. Clearly, the Bible here and other places presents the unborn baby as being human, being capable of hearing, being capable of moving, being capable even of rejoicing. The Bible in no place suggests that an unborn baby is a clump of cells 
or that an unborn baby lacks personhood. The Bible in no place teaches that an unborn baby lacks life. Those are lies of the enemy. Remember, the gift of life from God begins at conception. At conception. And by the way, do you think that it's significant that the baby John leaped for joy over the one who was carrying the baby Jesus and not vice versa? It was the same when these two babies grew up to be men. Jesus excited John. John didn't excite Jesus. Jesus had to increase. John had to decrease. Jesus walked on the way of the Lord in the desert. John cried out to create the way of the Lord in the desert. And then some 30 years after their births, Elizabeth's son water baptized Mary's son, John the Baptist baptized Christ. Jesus was introduced to the nation by John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was introduced to the nation of Israel by John. John wasn't introduced to the nation by Jesus. Jesus was the message. John was the messenger. And Jesus' words about his own second cousin, John the Baptist, put things into proper perspective. Listen, Matthew 11, verse 11, easy to remember, 11, 11. Matthew 11, 11, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who has the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. End of quote. How does that work? That is saying that John was greater than the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because he actually saw and actually did things which the Old Testament prophets could only predict. That's what made John greater than the prophets. But all believers after the cross, that's us, all believers after the cross are even greater than John the Baptist because we know and we experience what John only knew about from afar. That is the atoning work of Christ on the cross to pay for our sins. That's how that verse works. We're seeing that the Lord Jesus Christ, even unborn, had huge impact on the adults in his life and also on his second cousin, in utero. Now, I want to focus quickly to closing this message on verses 42 and 45. So let's look at verse 42 again. Then she spoke out with a loud voice, that is Elizabeth, spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary's cousin Elizabeth had the response of, Blessed, you're blessed. Elizabeth, by saying that, recognized that her cousin Mary was blessed by God. But please notice that Elizabeth correctly said that Mary was blessed among women. She didn't say that Mary was blessed above other women. Correctly, Elizabeth said, you're blessed, cousin Mary. You're blessed among all us women. 
but you're not blessed above all us other women. You see, Mary was blessed among women to be the human mother of the incarnate Messiah, but this blessing, as great as it was, didn't elevate Mary above all other women. It didn't. Mary had a sin nature. Like all of the women, Mary sinned like all women and all men. Mary needed Jesus to be her Savior like all other women and all other men do. Mary prayed to Jesus like all other women should. Mary didn't allow anybody to pray to her in the New Testament. There's no record of anyone praying to the Virgin Mary in the New Testament. And I think if anybody tried, she wouldn't have let them because she knew that she wasn't any part of their salvation. She was a, a person in need of Savior herself. Mary was not made some exalted queen over all things, as some churches teach. Mary did not remain a virgin her whole life. There's no record in Scripture that suggests that. Mary is not the gate of heaven or a co-redemptrix with Christ. Mary doesn't help a believer in Jesus to get fully redeemed. Mary isn't the go-between between us and Jesus. We don't pray to Mary because Jesus is busy with bigger things and we can give our requests in prayer to Mary because she has his ear, because she's his mother. That's not what the New Testament teaches. And so correctly, theologically correctly, Elizabeth said of Mary, blessed are you among women, not above women. Verse 45. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. It's important to notice that it was Mary's faith in God that brought about Mary's blessing. It says, blessed is she who believed. Believing preceded blessing. And that's how it is in life, isn't it, as a Christian? We believe in God and blessings flow out of us believing in God. Blessed, it said of her, blessed is she who believed. You could say of me, blessed is Rob because he believed. Say your name, blessed are your name because you believed. I mean, faith in God leads to blessing from God. Ephesians 2.8, in part, all of us are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And then Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in all of our stories, in all of our um, experiences as believers in God, it was our faith in God that brought about God showering us with blessings. It was for the Virgin Mary, and it is for each of us who know Christ as Savior. And so because Mary believed the word of God is brought to her by the angel of God named Gabriel, because she believed that at face value, God blessed her, and she experienced the power of God causing her to be with child. So let me ask you this Christmas 2022, 
Are you believing the word of God as it pertains to three things? Are you believing the word of God as it pertains to salvation? Are you believing the word of God as it pertains to sanctification? Are you believing the word of God as it pertains to service? Three S's, salvation, sanctification, service. Salvation is being justified by grace through faith in Christ, being declared innocent and robed in Christ's righteousness. Is that where you are? That you've believed God, put faith in Christ so that you are saved? I believe the vast majority of us listening to this sermon, that's where we're at. Thank God. But let me ask you, have you believed the word of God as it pertains to your sanctification? The work of sanctification is God systematically, increment by increment, setting you apart for God's possession and use. You should be more set apart for God's possession and use today than you were yesterday, but not as much as you will be tomorrow. Are you believing the word of God to increasingly set you apart more and more and more for God's possession and use? Or have you flatlined in your spiritual progression? Have you slumped, got stuck? I know everything I need to know. I don't need to come to Sunday school. I, I know enough. I don't need to use my spiritual gift. There's enough people around here with spiritual gifts who are ministering. I don't need to minister. When we believe the word of God, we believe that positionally we are made right with God through Christ, but experientially that sanctifying work is ongoing until we die. There's no retirement in the Christian life. You don't reach an age and say, now I'm retired from learning about Christ. Now I'm retired about serving Christ. No. Do you believe the word of God as it pertains to salvation? Do you believe the word of God as it pertains to sanctification? Do you believe the word of God as it applies to service? Do you believe that at the point of your conversion, you were given at least one spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? Would you like to know what it is? Would you use it if you knew what it was? When opportunities to serve the Lord in our community, like yesterday and Boxing Day coming on the 27th, the meal, when those kind of opportunities are presented to you, do you want to be a part of that? Do you take joy in rolling up your sleeves and doing the work, meeting the people, loving the people, representing Christ with the people? You're missing out a lot if you ask yourself out of that. It says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Believers are God's workmanship. The Greek word there is poema, from which we get our English word poem. The verse says, Ephesians 2.10, you could translate it this way, for we are his poems created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. You're a poem, each of you. I'm a poem. No two poems are the same. No two sets of good works are the same. Your good works are special and important to God, wants you to do them. My good works are special, God wants me to do them. But maybe we have different good works. Probably we do. When something comes to your awareness that uses a spiritual gift you have and a talent you have developed, then do it. 
You can't assume that every other believer in this assembly has the same spiritual gift as you or the same talent. Don't wait. Step up. I'll do that. With God's help, I'll do that. And so the question is, do we take God at his word as Mary did? She took God at his word and said, be it done to me according to your word. And so may we say and mean the same. Be it done to me according to your word as it pertains to salvation, as it pertains to sanctification, and as it pertains to service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the true account that we have studied together this morning. A young virgin woman told an amazing prophecy that required a lot of faith in a huge miracle-working God. We thank you that Mary accepted the assignment in faith and obedience and let the chips fall where they may. When she obeyed you, she let the chips fall where they may in her life. May we do the same. Help us, Lord, to take you at your word and to have the blessing that comes from taking you at your word accrue to us in our lives, not so that we would be storehouses and warehouses of your blessing, but that rather we would take the blessings that come to us from believing your word and may we give those blessings out liberally, lovingly, sacrificially, starting with the gospel. May that be the greatest news that we could ever share, and may we share it. Jesus said on the Palm Sunday Road, if the people didn't cry out and worship him with hosannas, the stones and the rocks would. Similarly, when we have the gospel by which we're saved, that Christ has died for sins and risen, if we won't share that message, the angels can't. Only we can. May we do it. May we do it. May we be advancing in our understanding of salvation, advancing in our condition of sanctification, and advancing in our Christian service for the King of Kings and his church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.